Would you please open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4? We'll continue to think about these glorious truths we've been meditating on this morning. Thank you so much for a worship team, Lord, that points us to you. I'm so grateful for the riches of the gospel of Jesus we've been meditating on in our Sun Corporate Worship. I hope you come right at the beginning of the worship time and with your minds engaged, your hearts engaged. I hope your preparation began long before you arrive here, but it began days ago anticipating gathering and worshiping in this way because this is an anchor time for us. It's when we get uh, reestablished, reoriented, refocused. So desperately important that we gather in this way and remember these incredible truths we've been thinking about this morning. We've been thinking about God's love for us, what he's done for us in Christ. The gospel truth is what we've been singing about and reflecting on and, and saying together. And so I, I love, thank you for doing that with me. It was very helpful not to have to do it by myself, uh, but have you helped me in that? I loved it. Uh, I, I want us to think this morning about this love that God has shown us then translated into the way we love others. That's, that's what this is. This is a time where churches around the world are thinking about caring for the orphan, caring for the fatherless, caring for children without families. This is one of the dire circumstances uh, at, right at the heart of the worst things in this world. The, the problems that are perpetuated by the orphan crisis are unthinkable. So many of the things we're aware of are actually something that gets, gets back to the orphan crisis. And around the world, churches have been remembering the orphan this morning, remembering the fatherless. Yesterday, as you were going to sleep, Carissa McDuff, who used to be a member at Grace and used to be part of the leadership of our Project Hope ministry that cares for orphans, is now with her husband Arvind in Gurgaon, India as missionaries. And do you know what they did at church on their Sunday hours ago? I have a photo of it. Here it is, guys. We read it. Yeah, there they are. They're defending the Fatherless Sunday in India they or, they've already had it. How beautiful is that that Carice has taken the vision that was birthed in her here over to India? Uh, you can't read it um, because of the word used there, but what that's saying, orphans in India total 20 million. So of the estimated 149 million, almost 15% are in this one country of India. Increases is there not far from slums where thousands of these kids live. So she's right on the front lines of the most ne- one of the most needy places in the whole world for this issue. And so, so I love that, that that's happening around the world. And that's what we're, we're remembering today is how God cares for the orphan. And what I want to make sure we do is what's delightfully been happening in this ministry at Grace. It's anything but merely social justice. It is that. It's anything but merely uh, ministry of compassion, although it is that. And I say merely because it's far more important that these aren't short-term solutions, but grounded in the only ultimate solution to all of life's problems, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ we've been thinking about today. This ministry at Grace, and I know in the Balaram's church in India and in so many churches who are 
concerned about this issue are, are theologically driven. It's, it's biblically grounded. It's not just, oh, let's be do-gooders. No, it's driven by the gospel. It's driven by God loved us in our destitute state, and so let's return the favor to humanity in this way. And, and it's gospel-driven. That's what will give it perseverance. You know, we're in, I would say, the second phase, second chapter, Project Hope 2.0 maybe, uh, of this ministry. It's been going how long, Bri? Five years? Five years? Seven total. All right. I should have known. My wife has been part of the leadership. Um, I should have known. She's been running around doing things for seven years, trying to get this going. Yeah, so uh, seven years it's been going on, and... I think we're in the second phase where the honeymoon's over and lots of good intentions have now worked themselves out in acts of faith and it's love for the long haul. It's love in the difficulty of this great idea. Now, we'll continue to move out and, and continue to love and bring kids to us, but, but it's hard. It's really difficult emotionally, physically, financially, relationally. Spiritually, it's, it's warfare on a very fundamental level. And I've loved to see the way families have gone into this, theologically driven, driven by the gospel, not by temporary enthusiasm, but by long-haul perspective from the gospel that God saved us and loved us in this way. And so that when it gets hard, people aren't talking about quitting or throwing in the towel. It's actually one of the big problems in, in orphan care is people say it's too hard. And Project Hope is in some ways uh, adoption-dissolving prevention. It's enabling, equipping, supporting so that we can love for the long haul, not just in a temporary way, not just in a flash-in-the-pan enthusiasm. And so it's theologically driven. And so I want to make sure this morning we anchor our perspective on caring for the orphan in the gospel. So 1 John chapter 4, no better place to do it. There are others we could have gone that would be just as good, but this is a great way to think about love. Do you realize how radical is the calling on the Christian in the way we're to love? Jesus says the the distinguishing mark of a Christian will be your t-shirts. No, I'm all for t-shirts if they help communicate things, but no, it's not your t-shirts, it's not your bumper stickers, it's not your slogans, it's the way you love. They'll know you're Christians. They'll know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. That's the distinguishing mark. Jesus says all the law and the prophets are summarized in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Do you realize how radical that is? Built into you by God, I believe. It goes astray, but I think it's God-given to be self-protective. It's amazing to me when I spill something hot, how everything in me just kicks in and I get out of the way. We, we, want what's, we want security, we want safety, we want protection, we want blessing, we want pleasure. There's nothing wrong with that. But God says, I want you to love in a way so that you open yourself up to harm. You open yourself up to what looks like risk. I want you to love in a way that will demand you love beyond yourself beyond your own natural abilities. What he's talking about is a qualitatively different way of loving. 
Yes, there's general love that all kinds of people can show, but God says there's a kind of love that's qualitatively, distinctively different that flows out of a new creature in Christ. A heart that's been set free and transformed by the good news of Jesus loves in a way that points people to that very gospel, points people to that very God who loves the way we've been singing about this morning. And 1 John unpacks this for us beautifully and enables us to really understand what it means to love in a way that's no longer self-preserving, self-exalting, self-enhancing, self-esteeming, and self-advancing, but eventually can start to love like Jesus, as it says in Philippians 2, who didn't consider his own interests but looked out for the interests of others, who put others before himself, who opened himself up to great cost, the ultimate cost, his own life, so he could love. And he says, and now that you've experienced that love, I want you to do the same. And this will be the the hallmark of of my people. So listen to 1 John as we read through this, starting at verse 7 of chapter 4. 1 John 4, 7. You ready? Beloved. So he starts affirming their identity as those who've been loved by God in Christ. Let us love one another. You'll see throughout this passage, John can't get one clause of a sentence out without connecting it to the necessary practical implications. He'll establish the God-word reality, and then he'll demand that we see the life-word transforming work it must lead to. Beloved, let us love one another. If you're loved, love, in other words. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. It just works that way. Anyone who does not love does not know God Okay, so here we are talking about something very different than just general love. There's a a love that flows from knowing God that we're looking at here. So a kind of love that flows from a true knowledge of God is what we're focusing on here. And what is this? Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. He defines it. It's not the definition of God. God is the definition of love. If you want to know what love is, you look at God. You you can't flip that. You, You don't know God by love because then you start with a preconceived idea of love and then you bring that and demand God be that way. No, this is, you look at God in Christ and you know what love is. So God is love. It permeates everything about him. It's not all he is. He's light too. John says that in chapter one. He's light, he's pure, he's holy, he's a consuming fire, he's holy. He's lots of things, as much as he is love, but love is defined by God. Love permeates everything about him. God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest. If you're wondering how to define love, wonder no more. You don't, how about this? You don't need to depend on the latest Katy Perry song to define love. You are free from pop music as the definition of love. Yes, this is really good news because it's defined here. In this, the love of God was manifested, shown among us that, here it is, God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So he, this is love, God sending his son. So as we'll see, it's the son dying on the cross, but it's also 
the Son being sent by the Father and the Son joyfully submitting to the will of the Father and coming and the Spirit enabling this all to happen. This is a Trinitarian God accomplishment and beautiful display of his extravagant love so that we could have life and not death, so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we love God, it doesn't initiate with us, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is one of those times you just must bust out the dictionary. We can't find better word than that. You, we can't. I've looked, really, propitiation is just one of those words you got to learn. It means to satisfy God's anger towards sin and sinners. Jesus satisfies the anger of God so that we don't have to bear that anger towards sin, which God rightly has. He's our substitute. He's our propitiation. He satisfies God's righteous anger toward our sin. He becomes that for us. Beloved, there he is again. Make sure you know who you are as you listen to these commands. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. And listen, this is wild. His love is perfected in us. Oh, did you catch that? No one has ever seen God, but the invisible God is made manifest in his son and then in those who've been changed by his son in the way they love. It's astounding. We love the way God does now. If we love one another, God's love abides in us and this telos, this goal, this maturity, this point of arrival, the goal of the love on the cross is not finished there, although it's sufficient there, perfectly so. It is completed when we, transformed by that love, love the way he does. This is amazing. There's not any insufficiency in the love on the cross, but there is a culmination of it in the way we love. It's staggering. We're enabled to love that way. Verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. So here we are. We've already got Father, Son, and now the Spirit, the Trinitarian God, the God who is Father, Son, and Spirit for all of eternity is at work redeeming us and showing us this love. Spirit does this, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God God abides in him, and he in God. So in trusting Jesus and saying, yes, you are the son of God, you are the savior of the world, you are the one who comes and takes my sin on you and the wrath of God on yourself for me, the one who comes to that life-changing, saving faith in repentance is the one who is a child of God now. So we're not all children of God. We're all in an orphan state before this happens. There's not this universal human experience of sonship, of being a child before this happens, before this relationship's restored through Jesus. By this we know abide in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, there it is, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. This is the defining characteristic of us now and showing this love will become the defining behavior. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. 
By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. So we don't have to fear judgment anymore. We don't have to fear the wrath of a holy God anymore. And if that's true, what really else should we ever be afraid of? If we don't need to fear the wrath of God anymore, well, what should we fear? Nothing. Nothing. And this is the key with this kind of love experienced by God's people comes a fearlessness before God and then certainly then before the world, before the uncertainty of the future before the uncertainty of my finances, before the criticisms of man, before impending death, before sickness and disease, all the things that will rack us with anxiety no longer carry any weight with us. We walk into this life with what appears as a reckless abandon, a fearlessness to live and love because we have life and love in Christ. That's what we find now. And so the people of God say, oh, I'm loved like that. I'm loved not, as it says in a bit, because I first loved him. Let's finish there, verse 18. There's no fear in love. And then look what 19 says. All right, let's finish 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. If you really understand the love of God, you won't fear anymore. We love, why? Because he first loved us. He's the one who initiated this, not when we were worthy or perfect or had proven ourselves, but when we were fist-shaking rebels, enemies of God, that's when he loved us. That's when he loved us, when we were sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, this is glorious. We love because he first loved us. He's the initiator, he's the motivator, he's the enabler. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must love his brother. So the Christian is called, out of the love we've experienced, to love in a way that images God's love for us. This love becomes the defining identifier for us. So this love is not an ought like you should just do this dutifully. No, this is now, as one preacher said, the water, it's like telling a fish to swim in water or a bird to fly in the air or a peach to taste sweet or a lemon to taste, how does a lemon taste? Uh, tart, yeah? No, it's, it's just calling us to be who we are. It's calling us to display what we've become. It's glorious news. It's not becoming something. It's being who God made us in Christ and simply displaying what's there. Oh, it's, it's wonderful news. And realize it's not any longer need-based. It's not calculating love to make sure that I get return for it. See, God's love isn't in it for the return. It's extravagant and grounded in his infinite nature. It's not need-based ever. It's never grounded in need. It's not lo- wanting a child so you can fulfill your daddy urges. Although I guess there's nothing wrong with that on one level. But, but if you go in it for what you get, you're in trouble. Just ask any parent. God calls us to love in a way that's not calculating for the return. But like God loves. In, in one very important sense, he gets nothing from loving us. 
He's perfect. He's independent. He's self-sufficient. He's self-existent. He has no unmet need. And so when we have our needs met in Christ, we start to be able to love not out of need, not out of deficit, but out of overflow now. And we can actually start to love in a way that's counterintuitive, that's so different than my fallen natural instincts. Now what can start to become natural is who we are in our new identity in Christ. That becomes the new instinctive response. There's a photograph I came across a while ago that, that moves me every time I see it. It stuns me every time I see it. Do you remember when Ronald Reagan, uh, there was an attempted assassination on Ronald Reagan. He walked out of a building. Wait, 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 Philip. Wait, crescendo, Philip, crescendo. You're a musician. Yeah, um, back it up here. So, I don't know if that's the right word, but it, it sounded right. So, um, yeah, remember in 1980, uh, no, when was it? Uh, 81, I was close, Andy, see it, 81, uh, Reagan was, there was an attempted assassination, and, and he walks out of a building, and bullets start raining from his left, and everybody starts diving for cover, except for the Secret Service, they go into action, two of those guys get Reagan in the car, and I want you to see this picture of what one of the Secret Service guys did, Tim McCarthy, now, Philip, go, yes, look at him, the bullets are coming from this direction, guys, See Reagan being stuck in the car? And Tim McCarthy, this trained Secret Service agent, did what is so countercultural. He turns toward the gunfire, and look, he's making himself as big as he possibly can. He, he's trying to get shot. Do you know how counterintuitive this is? This is what it led to. Next photo. He does get shot three times. He lives but go back to the first one, Philip. But that's what he does. Do you know how bizarre that is? To turn toward gunfire and make yourself as big as you can so you get shot instead of the president. Now, they, they're trained to do this. They learn to defy their natural inclinations. And that's what, we, that's what Jesus does. Jesus didn't, he wasn't a masochist. He didn't love pain. But he loved so much that he did what cost him and caused pain. And then that's what we're called to do. We're supposed to open ourselves up to difficulty. Difficulty we didn't even create. There can be this mentality that says, come on, life is hard enough. I can't even manage my own stuff. You expect me to go love other people in a costly way when I'm, I'm having a hard enough time with my own stuff? See, but what happens is, is a Christian is so freed in their own stuff that they start going and looking for other people's pain to make their own. That's what happens. We say, I'm on a pain hunt. Yes, I do have mine, but God is taking care of me. I'm sure of that. I have no fear of my own pain. So I'm going to look for other people's and I'm going to inherit it. I'm going to make it my own. That's what a Christian does. Something so radical that people will start to scratch their head and say, what's wrong with you people? What are you doing? This makes no sense. I told you, I've told you many times, Years ago, I gave away all my sermon illustration books because this church is filled with so many of them. I don't need illustration books anymore. This church is filled with illustrations of God's people at work. Project Hope is this ministry where, where God has raised us up and said, all right, I want you to make a difference in the life of orphans in the world, to show my love and show what the gospel does in your lives. 
Oh, this kind of love is being shown in all sorts of ways. I know there are women in this church who visit the elderly, who can't get out of bed and do hygiene and bring meals, and almost nobody knows about it but your husband's. I know that. See, that sort of thing's going on all the time here. But Project Hope is one of those ministries that God said, all right, one of the ways, primarily, I want you to display my love is through caring for orphans. And this is clearly what's happening at Grace. It's happening at Food Bank. Food Bank is this other thing he's raised up in this way to say, I want you to be displaying my love in extravagant ways like this. But, but Project Hope is one of those ways. So we'll watch this, this video clip, a little introduction Project Hope, and then we'll bring up one of the leaders to fill you in.